Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Prison Counts Podcast, where we have a multitude of different perspectives on what it's like to journey through the criminal justice system and to spend life in prison. With over 25 years of combined prison experience, I'm your host, Ryan Ferguson, here, as always, with my good friend and co-host, Dave Dowling. Dave, how you doing? Pretty good, buddy. A little tired today. Been working hard. Staying at it. Um, I'm excited about this week's podcast. This is the first woman ex-inmate that we've done, ex-convict that we've done. Well, and the first to air, too, because we have a couple in the pipeline. We look forward to uh, bringing you a probation parole officer. But but today we have, like you said, an ex-inmate, and she is great at talking, telling her story. Who is she? Uh, Her name is Samantha Lander. Uh, She contacted me online through uh, Instagram and told me a little bit about herself then. So I messaged her back and uh, she told me a little bit about her story. And at first I thought, well, you know, of course she might be crazy, but turns out she's not crazy, <laughs> but very interesting and very educated and very articulate. So, you know, this is going to be a good broadcast. You know, she tells her story real well, you know, and uh, I-, I think it's, it's very exposing, I mean, uh, of what it's like for a woman to go through the system. I'm excited about this. And it's funny, too, because you mentioned you get a lot of people on uh, on the different Instagrams and Facebooks, and we appreciate you reaching out. Some of them are legitimate, like Samantha, very cool person. And she's just so good at telling her story. Some of them are kind of, you know, I think they're not real. So <laughs> you never know what you're going to get. But uh, we do appreciate everyone for reaching out. Keep contacting us, letting us know what you think about the podcast, what you want more of, what you want less oh, of. absolutely, absolutely. And we really appreciate you guys getting out there and sharing the podcast. Uh, you know, if you just tell one person or share it on your Facebook or Instagram page, it helps so much. Uh, bring in new viewers, helps us keep going, and uh, and hopefully we'll just keep bringing you incredible stories. But uh, Dave, you ready, man? Yeah, you know, and just touching on the end of that, you know, our goal here is to is to make this a national conversation, you know, a national open conversation where people get to express their viewpoints and, and how they see things. You know, and they're not always going to match what me and you say. So, yeah, let's bring her in. She, this is going to be good. All right, here we go. Hey, Samantha, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So how did, uh, how did we end up getting you on the show, right? You, uh, did you hear the show previously? And no. So I was actually feeding my kid and had my, um, my, actually I lost the remote to my TV so I could only have one station on and I was, the news came on and I, they were like talking about, you know, this guy, Ryan Ferguson went to prison and now he's got this podcast called prison. And I was like, what? And so I like Googled it. And then, like, I instantly, like, sent a message on Instagram to, I guess, to David, uh, Dave. And I was like, I want to be on the show. <laughs> right. It's kind of amazing I even got it because I haven't actually figured out how to use the Instagram that good. So you're, like, the only person I see on there. And so you told me a little bit about yourself. And I was like, cool. All right. So that's when I contacted you. And yeah, yeah it's incredible. Dave's been trying to post a picture for, you. like, three months now. And <laughs> Yeah. Well, I have a voice. A face for radio, you know? Right. I know. I was like, he has like one, he's like one friend and one follower. I'm like, is this for real? Like, uh, who is this guy? I, I just, I'm trying. I, I might know. need your And house. then I looked at Ryan's and I was like, oh, damn. All right. right. Well, the Dave Catfishing your, account. Yeah, I saw yours. I was like, maybe, uh, you know, I should be on her show and she could show <laughs> how she could get me back into shape again or something. Straight up, straight up. Yeah. After this, we're all going to get a workout. Okay, Samantha, we need all your right. help. All right. Perfect. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You're the one who has the booklets like about, like he's got this starry little face and his little listening body on the cover of his book. <laughs> There's been a lot of cakes like, since that, that picture was taken. It's, oh, uh, okay. The, 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 the COVID, the COVID-15. The co- Actually, I got in better shape from COVID. Um, but what I think is really cool is that you you saw us and you reached out and now you're here. And I think it's like this is something that we're doing for each other and for the world to see what we experience and how the system really operates. And it's cool that we can reach out to each other and kind of support one another and tell each other stories because otherwise we're all living this reality and there's no way to express that and to share it. You get out and you, you got to go start your life, but you're just like, this is just this like black mark on you and nobody wants to talk about it or think about it. And like that needs to go away. What do you think? 
Oh, I agree. And I think it's like, I wasn't even like, I didn't even think twice about contacting you guys. I'm like, oh, there's always a connection. Like if you've done time, then there's a connection. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is going to be someone like, I kind of still talk to some people that I went to prison with. There's like a, on Facebook, there's like a group, but um, you know, I think there, yeah, there's definitely some sort of like bond that you, that you have with someone. It's not like when, you know, you, I know you guys know this, like when you sit down and have like lunch or something or whatever, you meet someone and you tell them what happened or you tell them your story and they're like, oh yeah, I, I did a night in jail one time because I had a warrant out for parking tickets and you're like, fuck you. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Right. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, seriously. Well, one, one thing about prison is like when you walk out of your cell, you're surrounded by hundreds of people who can totally relate to what you're going through. So you yeah. can find somebody to talk to that understands what you're going through. When you come home, even the people closest to you don't really understand what you're going through, you know, or no. what you've been through. And like you, we were talking before we started recording the show about not being able to really express or to tell someone what it's actually like, you know, and what actually hurts and what's actually the hardest parts of it, you know? Yep. All right. So Samantha, what, what led you to be incarcerated? Cause you're, kicking ass in life. I mean, you've obviously done very well for yourself and you're, you're living a good existence. So what happened years ago? How, I mean, how long ago was that? And, and yeah, how'd you end up in jail? Ooh, so, um, I guess I kind of like live this, like I had this like mentality growing up that it was like, I'm going to live life to the fullest and I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. Right. And so I just, I mean, I love to have fun, but I, what I know now is like, going to Alaska and hiking a mountain or something like that, that's fun. And that's living your life, not going and doing drugs and partying. That's not, there's no quality of life in that. So I kind of was, you know, I was an elite athlete. I was always really like everything I did, I did well. Um, I kind of always had like a, a super entrepreneurial kind of like mentality. So running business, selling, making money. And that was always something that I love to do. And, um, when I went to, I, I went to University of Michigan and I started going out and visiting some friends out in California a lot, my senior year or end of junior year. And I, you know, I started partying a lot at that point and I would bring drugs back with me and sell them to people at, in college. And at that point I was friends with a lot of like gay guys. So it was like a lot of the GHB, the ketamine meth uh meth was a big one out there so that's when i sort of got into selling drugs and then i moved i graduated michigan and i moved out to la and my job kind of fell through at that point and i decided i was going to become a dj and um i did that and was really successful i probably could have made like a successful career and not sold drugs on top of that but um that's when like sort of the dr selling drugs just sort of like escalated and it just was kind of like, okay, well, I'm going to pay as long as I don't mess up my responsibilities, right? This is what I, my thinking at the time, as long as I don't fuck up my responsibilities, and I use the money to pay for the drugs that I'm using, then it's okay. You know, and then it just, it got where it was just, I was selling to so many little people that it got, it just got scary. And so I just went to like the next level. So that's when I just started selling like mass quantities of drugs um, to like only a few people. And, um, that was kind of what I was doing. And then I was DJing and then my, um, my guy got busted, uh, who I would buy drugs from and basically drugs were left at his house. My ex-boyfriend brought a bunch of it to my house and I had a full SWAT raid at my house, um, you know, two days wow. later. So, yeah. And the crazy thing is like, I quit selling drugs two weeks prior. It's the weirdest thing. Yeah. But. That addiction you talk about to the actual substances and to the lifestyle. And then the way you try to have the best of both worlds really resonates with me. You want to have this responsible world where you have a professional life and it all looks normal. You try to think anyway on the outside, but then you have this thing you know that's going to come crash it all down on the other side, you know, and that worry and that fear just used to affect me so much. It was very hard to actually be myself, you know? Oh, for sure. And I mean, I'm sure part of it is like, you know, you self-medicate using drugs. You know, I use drugs. Um, so meth was one of my main drugs of choice. And for me, it like calmed me down. And that's why I kind of started doing it. It was like, I was, it was 
Adderall for me. So I, you know, I have ADD or ADHD, however you want to say it. So, and I never took a pharmaceutical ever in my life and I refused to take any of that. And the meth, it was like, I could write a 20 page paper. Like I graduated Michigan, like did really, really well, but I could write papers. I could do everything and like stay really focused by doing that. And then it really helped with my anxiety. So would you say, and it's interesting, you know, you, you graduated college. I'm not so sure that uh, Dave Dave has. I certainly haven't. Um, and so you graduated college. You could go into whatever career you want. Was it just the excitement uh, of, of that, that lifestyle, the DJing, of meeting people, of, you know, doing the drugs that got you into that? Or how, like, how did you evolve I, into that? You know, I think you know, even with my job now, it's kind of like, I'm a, I'm like a healer and a helper. And, a, you know, so my whole life, I feel like, I, and it might be because I'm a Sagittarius. I don't know. I always blame that, but like, I feel like people have always just really opened up to me and really like connect, like felt like they can tell me anything and they need like, sort of like they need me in their life or something like that. So I guess, you know, it was just kind of like, I felt like, wanted and needed, but I didn't have to try. Like I didn't have to put the work in, I think for a while there. It's like when you're selling drugs, everybody fucking wants to be your friend. Like it doesn't matter who I am. I could be a total asshole. So I think I was probably substituting a lot of that feeling um, from just probably childhood stuff where, you know, I just didn't like, I maybe like didn't, you know, stuff with my family or I didn't feel loved or like in high school, I felt like it was really, really hard for me to connect with people. Like I had a lot of friends, but I didn't, I've never had a lot of best friends. Like I've never, I haven't had a lot of girlfriends for sure. Like all my friends have typically always been guys. So, um, and I was always kind of friends with everybody. So I didn't, I never had that in high school. Like I still have dreams about like the girls, like in high school, like just how clicky it was and me not fitting in. Um, and you think like, I mean, I, I looked the picture of like this girl that should probably fit in and blah, 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 but I didn't like at all. Um, and so I think that maybe that's part of it. I don't know. I've never actually thought about that. Yeah. It's always interesting, you know, the psychology of how we get into things. And, and a lot of times we don't know. I mean, uh, you know, I, I partied a lot in school. I mean, who knows why I think, I think I just wanted to, uh, find, find a way to, relate to the the women and be like a cool guy, you know? So I, I partied. Um, if it weren't for that, I probably would have studied a lot more, but I was like, Hey, how, why else would these girls talk to me if I didn't, you know, go out to the parties? Like, you know, so who knows uh, what takes people into things is very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, I don't really have an excuse for like, my mom is always like, well, what did we do? Like, what did we do? To, you know? Oh, and I'm like, you did nothing. Like, I don't, I honestly, like, I, I have to take full responsibility. Like I didn't, I don't come from like a damaged family, really like horrible. There wasn't addiction in my family. There was no, like, this is my own fucking deal. Right. Like, and that's the truth. You know, before you ever move on or get better, you have to say that. You have to say, this was me. This wasn't my mean dad. This wasn't my uh, imperfect mother. And no, mom, you were perfect, just if you're listening at this time. But it's you. I mean, it's my own what was in me. And and Ryan touched on that, getting over the fear and insecurity when you're younger. But when you do that, you you pain makes growth. So when you're constantly avoiding that pain when you're not growing. So by the time I got locked up at 30, well, I was still about 15 emotionally, you know. Well, I'm glad you're up into the 20s, Dave. That's no doubt. Welcome. I'm getting there. So Samantha, <laughs> when they kicked in the door, were you home? Uh, yeah. So I, it was crazy. So I, when I, um, I was actually going to look at a loft because um, I wanted to move out of my apartment because I was just like, I, I was so paranoid at my apartment. Um, and I was walking out to um I was walking out of, out of the gate and I remember there were like two guys sitting at the tables by the pool and I'm like what who are they like this is weird like I've never seen them it's kind of odd and then like I like I knew and then I walked out and there was a car that drove up and it, it she and I'm not trying to like label anyone but this looked like a lesbian like 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 a, like a hot like tattoo kind of like female like lesbian like in this car and I was and there I was best friends with a neighbor of mine and she was a lesbian. I was like, well, she's out of town. Like, why would this girl be in our building? And, and she was undercover. And so she pulled up and then it was like, fucking, you would have thought the fucking president was in my apartment. Like they ripped down like the gates in the back. They had like so many guns, like so many guns. I remember hearing up 
and like they're whatever on their walkie talkies, they were like, there's a dog in here. And I was like, please. And my dog is like really aggressive. And I was just like, please don't hurt my dog. Please don't hurt my dog. Like I will get my dog. Let me go back in and get my dog. And my ex, uh, my ex-boyfriend at the time was also there and he was getting handcuffed somewhere else. I don't know. And they let me go up there. Like I had to crawl. Like I was completely like shackled up and they let Mm -hmm. me like crawl down and like try to put a leash onto my dog. And um, then I got one of my neighbors took my dog. And I just remember that was like, because my dog was my like lifeline. And then they sat me right out on the front porch. So everybody could see me sitting there all shackled while they totally whole, Mm. like whole complex just sitting there. Like, I mean, I think they even put my hoodie over my head. Like it was so dramatic. Uh, So from there, did they take you to the county jail or? So, yeah. So they completely, so they were, did their thing. Um, And I, for someone who quit selling drugs, I definitely had an excess, like my indictments, like the thickest thing ever. So after, yeah, after that, I went to LA County and I, you know, I just remember it was I've I'd never been in a like a cell obviously like that or well I've been in a bunch now but it was just gray concrete like it just was it was like so isolated like I felt like I was in like a sardine can and I remember just being like holy shit like like I mean you can't do anything like I was I didn't even know I was like in shock and they gave I had a five hundred thousand dollar bail and um they wanted me to rat out they wanted to know where you know this one other drug dealer was and i didn't know and i just was like i don't know like i know she used to date my guy but i don't know where she is so um you know i think they were definitely using scare tactic with a five hundred thousand dollar bail um which is insane that's Um, super high yeah for a drug case yeah but i mean especially in la you would think L.A. County, a drug case wouldn't be that high, but it would also be terrifying to be in the county jail in L.A. Yeah, and I'm yeah. I'm almost certain that they were really counting on you to be the one to break as a woman. I, I mean, a lot of times you watch and see as the girlfriend tells them, but, you know, and, and getting this from your experience, being a woman when you are selling drugs, it, it is kind of a masculine role. You know, like being a drug dealer, you think when I think. Ooh, a drug dealer. I certainly don't picture you, yo. I picture <laughs> dude. You know what I mean? A dude. That was, you know? I was just trying, you know, this was like the, the lesson for everyone. That's why yeah. I did it all. <laughs> but the truth is, that's why a lot of people probably like coming to you because it felt safe. It didn't feel so criminally, you know, you're a nice person and da da da. But reality is, when we're involved in that, we're that guy. I mean, you know, you're that, you become that criminal element when you do get involved in that criminality you know and it, it it's such a start when people find out about it like when you were sitting on the porch it's like man now they know you know like dang you know i'm exposed you know it's it, and then the reality of that prison cell is oh. very real yeah yeah very real. how did that actually, feel samantha yeah oh uh, well i mean i just i remember like like you said i remember i just was like thinking about my family and I was just like, oh, my God, like, what am I going to do? I, I mean, I, I didn't really know. I thought I was going to be there forever. I just thought I was going to be there. And, I, you know, you have no idea what's going to happen when you're going to get out. No one to talk to. There was nobody in there. I was actually in Beverly Hills. So my, my first for the first arrest. So that wasn't it wasn't bad. It wasn't too. I mean, it was like literally just like a concrete room, like oh, okay. a tiny little room. Um, but then there was the LA County came later. Yeah, Wait, there's what? nothing really nice about a room you cannot leave. You know, no, I mean? yeah, no. <laughs> but it was Beverly Hills. Come on, <laughs> true. It's still in Beverly Hills, living it up. Oh, living it up. <laughs> Might be an ice cold cinder block box that doesn't open, but yeah. <laughs> right. Um. So, what was LA County like? I mean, it's how long were you there, and what was that? I'm, I'm sure you've dealt with some crazy stuff. Oh, it was insane. It was insane. So um, I ended up self, uh, I think I got eight months for LA County and I had to self-surrender and it was after a long weekend. Um, it was probably like 4th of July weekend or something like that. And everybody had been out partying. So people were coming down off drugs. They were all waiting to be, you know, have their, their little like you know, be seen and stuff like that once I got in the holding cell. But I, I got I self-surrendered. And I remember I went back and this female guard like pulled me into this little room and she gave me a ponytail. She ripped out my ponytail holder and um, hold on. 
she ripped out my ponytail holder um, and told me like, you can't have this one. Take these. You can have these in here. Put your fucking hair up and look like shit. She's like, do not fucking cry, whatever you do. So if you need to cry, you need to cry now. And I was like, what the fuck? And so then I start crying. Like, I've been pretty like <laughs> stoic. I felt like I've been pretty stoic through all of it. Yeah, she she just is like, get, get your shit together. Like, you got to put your game face on. This is what's happening. And I remember guards were, they kept saying, well, you look like the girl from Terminator. Um, and I'm, it just was like such a like surreal thing. Like guards are trying to tell me I look like some actress as I'm about to go like to LA County. Like, it's just weird. So she just, you know, like gave me my, these tips, like, you know, just keep your head down. Don't talk to anybody. And then they put me in this little room and it was just like a toilet and like 50 girls that are all either been seen or waiting to be seen by the judge. And I remember there were just like maxi pads, like dirty maxi pads everywhere. And like, you know, someone will just get up and go shit there. Like, like I've never experienced this. Like I usually, I don't poop in front of people. Like most people can't, (laughs) most people can't take a shit outside their house. Right. So, I mean, you get over that really quick. And, um, and I just remember like, it just was a hot mess. And then you get shackled to these girls in a line as they eventually transfer you to like, your, you know, to go to LA County. So then we get on the bus, you know, we're shackled and these girls are like nodding out and like coming down. It just was, that was a mess. And then we got put, I remember just being in these rooms, like room after room for day, like it was probably three or four days. And you're in a room that holds at this time it was so crowded there and you're in a room with like 150 people, but the occupancy is like 75 and you're literally on this concrete floor, like spooning, like like spooning these crazy people. Cause you're just cold and you're tired and you're all just trying, like, like you said, you're like, we're all here, man. We just got to make it work. Right. So um, I remember that that was kind of like the intake process. <laughs> How long were you there, Samantha, at the LA County Jail? So actually, I ended up doing uh, 28 days total, which is cra- like nothing, but that was the longest 28 days of my life. So I eventually got transferred into like the main area where I want to say I didn't go to Gen Pop because I was the highest level of trustee. So they call that a banana because we wear all yellow. So, <laughs> so I was a banana, which means you get to go like outside of the uh, the jail to go work during the day. So I got to work at like one was a police station. I would go like throw away the trash every day. Like I just try to stay busy and stay out of the holding cells as, or the, you know, your cell as much as possible. So um, I can segue into a very interesting story about that. So I worked at a, at, at the jail and then I worked in the trash and then so those are like the two, this is just how going to be like a little corrupt story. So the day that I go to the police station for work, I find a gun in the trash. So we took out the trash and stuff. So oh, I had a no. substitute. Yeah. I, found, I had a substitute boss that day. I found a gun in the trash and I reported it. And I was like, listen, there's a gun like in the trash. So <laughs> my substitute, like, right. Like I, like I can actually just take it, this fucking gun. So I gave this gun to my so, like the my substitute boss, it wasn't who was like really be running the show, and it was, and it turns out the gun was never reported. Like at the end, all of the story, so she has this gun, and then later that day, I go to take out the trash, right, and I find the master key to all the cop cars. So there's one key that runs every cop car, at least at, at that time in LA County. So I guess they'd been cleaning out offices or something, and they're like boxes of stuff, and there's just like keys in this thing, and so I tell that to my boss. I'm like, you realize what these keys are. Cause I'd learned that from washing cop cars earlier that day at the police station. Cause you have to move the cars. So we learned that they all have the same key. So I find these keys and then this is like all like in a 48 hour period. So then later that, so I, I told my parents, I called them that day and told them what happened on the phone. And I don't know partially if the phones, cause they're tapped. So I don't know if they heard the story about the gun and then they flagged it. And then they like, got it looked into that. Um, so later that, so this is a total side story that's still in that same 48 hour period later that day, uh, they wake up four of us who are like, you know, bananas cause we can leave. And they, they basically give us rubber boots. They take our ID cards 
and they put us in a little room and they give us a bowl of ice cream, right? This is like 3 a.m., 3 a.m. And we're like, what the fuck? Like, are they going to kill us? Like, what's going to happen? Like, what is Sounds like some Squid Game stuff coming up. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, So we then had to, they say, okay, so we need you guys to go outside and look for a spoon that's possibly in the trash or possibly not in the trash because it wasn't like, so they get uh, chits. So you put a chit, if you take like the kitchen, if they're cooking, they'd have to get a chit. They take the spoon. So they, cause it can be cut made a shank. Right. So we are out. So we go out there and you feel like you're on an episode of like pranked and there are probably like 30 guards with shotguns for four of us, like four of us girls, like, they're going out there to dig through the trash. There's like cops Manson's, everywhere. Like Manson's out there with you, huh? Right? Like, I mean, what the hell? So we're out there digging through the trash. And at this point, I'm just like, this is insane. Like, it's insane. Like, we're not, like, I, I mean, ugh. And the trash is so foul. It just is so bad. And so I, um, and I, and you know, then I get like, it's just going on. And at that point I'm like, this, I get kind of snarky and I'm like, why the fuck are we looking for a gu- like looking for a spoon when there was a gun in the trash earlier today and some fucking keys? Like, this is ridiculous. You know, what idiot like didn't put the spoon back and I'm like going off and like, and then that guy was like, what? And so like, it kind of like triggered him. And then he called the warden and told the warden. So they found out about the gun that was never reported and they never found the gun and all of this like shady shit that basically went down that day. Eventually we did not find the spoon and we go inside and they, and the, all the officers start making us like burritos. So weird. Cause they, I guess, cause we dug through the trash. They felt bad. So we got these massive breakfast burritos and we're sitting next to, I'll never forget it. We're sitting next to these two girls and I'm like, what, what dumbass like lost a fucking spoon. This is such bullshit. Like, and it turns out the girl's like, yeah, it was me. And I was like, holy shit. Like, I'm sorry. Like, you know, I felt bad at that point. And she just looks at me and she goes, you know what? I don't even care because the fact that that spoon was missing, I just got to go outside for the first time in nine months. And I was like, fuck me. <laughs> like she, crazy. Yeah. So she did not get to see the light. And I was like, oh my God. Like, and that's when the reality like really hits you. You're like, I mean, I can't imagine like right. that kind yeah. of time in, the, in inside. So yeah. at that time, you're being held on state charges, right? You're being held yeah. on state California charges. So you went through the county jail and they issued a deal or something. You and you pled out. No, the, the next day, we had, no, there was no deal. Like basically, everybody had busted. So I don't know. The next day, I got out. All the girls who were working that day at the jail got out. Everyone who was working with that gun scenario all got out the next day. So now I know this from 10 o'clock, 10 p.m. (laughs) At this time, had the federal authorities come and spoken to you yet? Yeah. So um, the day that I got out on OR, I. um, Owner Cotton. Yeah, sorry. I didn't. I forgot. No, that's all right. Not everyone knows the lingo. (laughs) Well, yeah, we know, but it's. uh, I wouldn't know if I hadn't been in there. Yeah, exactly. What is OR again? So that basically means like you're not going to run. So they let you out knowing that you're going to show up. to your court date and you're not going to go like, you know, so you don't actually have to pay a bail. They're just like, Oh, like we, we trust you essentially to come back. A lot of times, a lot of times on first time offenders, they'll set a bond and then a judge will see that bond and check your record. Then once you get involved in the court system and just, Oh, are you own recognizance bond, skip that bond. You'll never see it again. The rest of your life. I can tell you that from experience, skip that OR bond and every bond after that will be a real 500,000 cash only secured. See, I, I don't know much about yeah. bond because I had twenty million and uh, we didn't quite have. We almost, we almost had. No, no, we, we couldn't pay any of that. So I've never really, even I, I've heard of these things, but I've never actually experienced them myself. Right. So how long, Samantha, after you you're released back from county jail? How well, so long I got out. Yeah. So I was only in county that when I went to Beverly Hills, I was literally there. The next day, they let us let me out. Like so, they have put this five hundred thousand dollar bail, and the next morning they just like let us go. It was so yeah. weird. So then I get home and at my front door, there are two, two dudes like standing there. And I'm like, oh, you guys are back, you know, trying to like be all funny. And um, they're like, what are you talking about? And I was like, "Um," they're like, we're from the Missouri Postal. Um, We're the Missouri Postal Feds. So we just happened to hear there was some activity over here and we decided to stop by because we were in the neighborhood. (laughs) 
yeah, right. In the neighborhood. So about, I would say about, so eight months prior to um, me getting, me getting busted or whatever, I got a phone call from my, from my good friend and she started asking me a lot of questions about drugs and what, you know, how much for this? Can you send me this? And it just was like, I, it was just really sketchy. And I just kind of like, was like, I got to go. I don't know why you're asking me all these questions and hung up. And she was trying to set me up because the Missouri feds had already arrested her. So her, she was selling drugs to someone. I guess she had told them that, that, that she was getting it from someone in California. And I mean, it's easy to track all this shit down, but she was, you know, she shouldn't have said it where she was getting it at all, obviously. And then they went to her and they basically scared the shit out of her and told her that I, they already had me, that I'd been arrested for seven months and I was, I ratted her out. I told her everything. And so she just told them everything. And so she's like, okay, I'll set her up, whatever I got it, you know, that, you know, so, um, they came and they're like, well, you might have a case. Or, so at, this is back to when I got out that day and they basically were like, well, we, we know everything. Your friend told us everything. And, you know, you may have a case, you may not, you'll just have to wait and see. I'm like, okay. So I basically waited. I moved, uh, I did my County time, got out, got my probation transferred, moved home, got a job was like, I mean, I was in recovery, like living my best life. Like nothing could have burst my bubble. I was sober. I was happy. Um, even going to County, like I was so happy to be out of that life that I was in. It didn't matter. Um, as hard as it was. And, uh, I moved home and then I'll never forget. I was getting my cable installed and the cable guy was giving me shit because he's like, Oh, you spoiled little white girl got a gumball machine. And they're like, I don't know why this guy is even saying this. I'll never forget. And then I got a call from my lawyer and he's like, you're looking at 22 to life. Mm-hmm. And I told the Comcast guy to get the fuck out of my house. And I jumped. I remember I like got into the shower, like with all my clothes on. And like, you know, when you cry so hard that like, it's like, it just snots like everything's everywhere. Like I, just, I remember, Oh, it's like, and I remember just being in there and my parents were trying to get a hold of me and, um, uh, they came over and had to like drag me out of the shower. And it just, then that was where we started that whole thing. Man. Oh man. So at what point were you arrested? I, I was, they never arrested me. I just, they I had just to go. Indicted you? Yeah. I got indicted. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I just had to show up and, um, that's when I got out on bond, basically, basically I get arrested and then I sat in a cell again and for a while, you know, however long, you know, a couple, couple hours and then they let me out. So how, how did you, so you ended up in federal prison eventually. What was that process like and how'd you end up in there? Um, so basically there's a lot of waiting. Um, you know, you wait for your court dates, you wait for this. And I, I sometimes I think they're going to see, they want to wait and see if you're going to fuck up. Such so a good I, point, though, because people don't realize how much you wait on oh, everything in this system. Oh, everything. And, and it's not there's no like they they have all the rules for how things are supposed to be and how, you know, if you get in trouble, this is what's supposed to happen. And this is the procedure. And yeah, right. The warden does whatever he wants, especially once you're in there. So eventually, you know, I at this point, you know, you're drug testing, you're showing up for court dates, you've got to get a job, you meet with whatever officers that show up and whatever you got to do. And we, you know, my lawyer, we're just meeting and we're trying to knock down some of these counts against me because it's a point system with the feds. So I already had one point for my County case. So that adds something right there. And it was the first year of the federal guidelines. So the, so the feds have that point system. So like, let's say I've been arrested 10 times and you're going to get X amount of points, which automatically gives you X amount of time. So if someone doesn't understand that, and um, this is the and there's a guideline. So this was the first year the federal guidelines were actually off, um, and judges could go outside and say, okay, well, you know what, you've done really well. You can get 20 months instead of the 27 that the guideline says. But I had a really old school judge, so that did not happen. Um, but so basically, I'm drug testing. I'm doing all this stuff. Got a job. Trying to you know just live this really good path. And I did everything they said. I did everything perfectly. My co-defendant, she did everything wrong. She didn't show up to court. She tested dirty. She got less time than me. Right. Like, how does that happen? I don't know. I don't know. But Dave, you've seen that a lot. Oh my gosh, man. Well, I've seen it with me. I mean, honestly, I've seen it with me getting the less time when I was 
the worse actor. And I've seen it with me getting more times when I was a lesser actor, you know, so. So no rhyme or reason. No, I mean, it's really, it's so arbitrary. It's, it's, it's difficult to pinpoint well, like you said, you had an old school judge. Well, then you have a progressive judge. Well, then you have a very liberal judge or you have a very like for these cases. I went to prison on this last time for basically the same cases. One jurisdiction gave me 12 years and the next one gave me 18 years because they didn't like that 12 year sentence. You know, so what was the exact same crime worth? 12 or 18? I don't know. When we talked to Pat Flaherty, he got 45 for about a third of what I was there for. So it, it is very like I said, arbitrary, you know, it's just hard to pinpoint what gets what. So how was the federal prison when you go in? Um, what's that experience like? Is I mean, I would imagine it's better than L.A. County. Oh, fuck. Yeah. It's like, I mean, <laughs> so with that, I mean, honestly, like. It, it sucked. I mean, so I was at a, a prison camp and. So a lot of people be like, oh, orange is the new black, you know, but I mean, it was, it was, a, it wasn't like that. That was crazy that how that show got, but um, I got to ask, cause people are going to want to know, was it at all like orange is the new black? Maybe a little the first season, but okay. no. that's exactly that, what I say, like the character yeah. development. Yeah. Oh my God. Like that shit would never happen. No. Okay. Sorry, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> uh, I was at a camp, so there was no, there was no fence. There was, you know. So it was all like, you know, basically they trust you. If you want to run, you're fucked and you're going to go behind a fence because it's all money crimes and drug crimes there. My co-defendant was there with me. So I hadn't seen her since any of this. And I show up and honestly, it was so like, like you guys say that bond, like I didn't, I didn't even care. I was like, you know what? Shit fucking happens. I get it. You were scared, but I am so glad. Like I, like I have chills right now just talking about it. Like I just hugged her and was like, Oh fuck. Like, I know you. I'm not going to cry. Like I was like, I mean, like literally it's like, it's like, I can do this. Like I've got you here. Like she was my, like, I don't, like you said, like I said, I don't have a lot of girlfriends and she was my best, best friend. And I, and then I made the best of it. You know, I got a job in landscape and I learned, I mean, I am licensed to drive a genie boom, a backhoe, a road grinder, a bulldozer, uh, like I just, every day I go into my boss and I'd be like, what are you going to teach me? Like, I just teach me how to do something. Like I can change the oil on a car. I can like, you name it. I can probably do it. That's all. Awesome. Uh, did, so, did you work? Did you start working on your physical fitness while you were in there? So I've always been like an athlete, but yeah. Oh my God. I can't like, all I did was live on like an elliptical or a treadmill and like, I mean, you know, and they have like a track, you like little hamsters. We just walk <laughs> when like, it's like everybody hibernates in the winter. Right. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, it's not winter anymore. Just people just walk this track. You just walk that track all day. Everybody's just walking that track, you know, with your little FMAM radio. Was there camaraderie between the women in there? Cause like in the men's prisons, it's, it's, you know, like you have your friends, but everybody's kind of separate and, Everybody has, you know, they want to do their own things and think they're the boss. Like, how did it, how did it feel in that sense in the, in the female penitentiary? Um, so there were two, there's like two dorms. And so one is the one, one of them has all the, uh, drug treatment kid, like kids, women in it. And the other one's like, just, you know, balls to the wall, like do whatever you want that dorm. So I started out in that one and there, there's definitely like, it's kind of like high school, like that you got your groups of people and then it's a lot like, like high school. Yeah. And shit like goes down. Like you'll hear some shit going down in a closet, you know, you'll wake up to it. Um, so that's where you'd like experience like more like the roughneck stuff. Um, but you know, like I said, like at the end of the day, like I remember there was this older woman that was super sick. Like everybody just will help you. Do you feel like you were ever like tested in there? Did people oh, fuck? There's this chick, Tracy, Trina, Tracy, who worked landscape with me. And she, this is so, so stupid. This is high school. So she would like jack my weed eater. Like, so we all have our, our own like weed eater, like, like that works well. We know how to work it. So like she would steal this fucker every fucking day. Like if, if she got to work before me and one day, and I just was like, oh my God. And so one day I like took the gator out there where she was working. And I was like, give me my fucking weed eater. It's like, I was about to go down over this thing. And she just like ignored me. She's just one of those, like just an ignorant person. Just like, there's no, the, the, there's no, there's a lot of irrational people there. Like, oh, yeah. like they can't even like, you'll be like that pen is blue and it will be a blue pen. It'll be like, it's a pencil. No, 
it is a pencil and they'll just be like, want to fight. And they just can't even. Sometimes you just wonder, it's like, are you being this way for fun? Or do you really think this? It's yeah, crazy. Prison, prison definitely teaches you how to pick your battles. You know, like, oh, oh, yeah. Okay. We'll uh, and and you're, it's like a billion personalities thrown into right. a bucket. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. you get to learn how to really pick people out real quick. Like the first three or four words come out of your mouth. Like, no, not you. No, yeah. Not you. yeah. You just got to write. It's like, it's, it's like Bumble. Yeah. It's like no, swipe. Not you, not, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. But she, I'll never Too forget. Not prisony enough. Too prisony. Not prisony enough. Yeah. But yeah, I'll never forget. So then one day we were like the ward, we got a new warden and he wanted us to hose down like with a fire hose, like just the concrete. So here we are like hosing the concrete. But if you've ever hold, held a fire hose, it's like you need a couple people to hold this thing. Yeah. So I'm in the front of this and that girl, Tracy's in the back or in, somewhere on it. And she just decided to let it go. And the whole thing like goes fucking flying. And I was like, I, I fucking, we t- I turned that fucking hose off and went the fuck off. And I was like, that's the one only time I can say I actually was about to fight someone. Like I was... I was like, you've j- compromised, you know, our team. You could have hurt everyone. <laughs> you know, it was like, I was so worried about this hose hurting everybody. And I was like, you know what? You can't fucking do this shit. Now he just like got in her face. And my boss is just sitting there going, Sam, like back the fuck up. I'm like, you don't want to do that. And I'm like, uh-uh. And she like, my boss just came and like fucking dragged me away. But I was, I was ready to go. And she never messed with me again. Nice. So, so uh, Samantha, okay. So you did that time. And after your release, you, I'm assuming you went back to your family's house or something. Did you? Go I did. I did. Yeah, family? my family was great. Um, yeah. How was that? Like, like I know before we talked, you talked about your dad and how difficult it was for yeah, you. Yeah, it it was. Uh, my family was awesome. Like, I, I actually lost my visits for six months, um, which was made it. You know, I don't know if you guys experienced your family visiting a lot, but it makes it so much easier when yeah. you don't see them. When I would see him, it was like, I don't want to hear about what's going on outside. I don't want to hear about how I fucked up my life. Like, I'm trying to work through that shit right now. And I just felt bad that they'd have to drive to go see me every weekend. So that was sort of a blessing in disguise. And, but they came, you know, every weekend and they were like, you know, they'd ask about all the women. They'd want to hear their stories. They were super supportive. They were never judgy. My dad got really, really like, he was became like a prison advocate. Like he would... You know, I know he would like listen to all this stuff in his car. I remember why he drive, he'd had like a 40 minute, five minute drive to like work. And I know he'd just sit there and like cry the whole time. And, you know, after I got in trouble, he couldn't under, you know, he's a doctor and he's a healer and he can do, he knows a lot. And so he just couldn't understand why the system didn't go the way the system was supposed to go. Like, why are you getting six months for this little thing that happened of like losing everything when, all these other girls get this. You're only supposed to like you, this is your first strike. You're not supposed to do that. You're not like, he couldn't process it. Like he, it was so, and I'm like, dad, you have no control. You have to let it go. Like, and that's what I had to tell my parents is like, we, we have no control. Like you're going to go through it. It's going to be done at some point and you're going to come out either better or worse in the end. And we're all going to be better because we went through this, you know? And yeah, I got out, moved home with my parents. And I mean, I was like, so rehabilitated. Like I did that drug program. And like, I mean, I was like, like I could communicate so well. I mean, I'm definitely not probably like that anymore, but it's definitely, you know, it, yeah. the stuff that I learned was incredible. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's when you're there. And one thing about prison that I, I, I hate to say enjoy, but that I'm grateful for was, you know, I learned how to be me again, you know, like to just be myself without having to rely on any kind of phony uh, backstory or any kind of uh, a controlling substance where I could control others or it controlled me. I was just me, you know, and yep. it was easier for me to live again, you know. So when I came home, all the people that loved me before all that began got to meet me again. And it's been very exciting, really, you know. I mean, yeah, it's myself. funny. I remember my parents being like, we got our same thing. Like we got our daughter back. Cause like when I moved to LA, like I, I mean, I knew I was doing wrong. And so I just, every time they call, I would ignore the call or not talk to them. Like, and I was always fucked up. So like, I couldn't really have a conversation with them. Right. Um, but yeah, it definitely, it's, it's an experience. And like looking back, I mean, I know you guys did a lot more time than me. So it's like, I look at like 27 months. It, It like now it's like nothing, but 
it's what I needed. It's what I needed. Like, you know, but I didn't have a kid. Like my, my roommate had a kid and I can't imagine like her mom died while we were there and she didn't get to furlough out to see her or go to the funeral because the warden, like the warden just, they do what they want. You're technically supposed to be able to either go visit your family while they're alive or go to the funeral. She didn't get to do either her son. She had been in like um, that biker gang and uh, hell's angels. And like her son was being like brought into that and she had no control. She didn't even know who was watching her son. Like it was just like watching her go through that. Now that I'm a mother, I, I like, I think my experience would have been, totally fucking different like i can't yeah, imagine no, i'm grateful I was, I was there i didn't have any children either and my father died when i was there and uh, i wasn't able to attend his funeral and that's something that sticks with you forever you know i remember oh, the day yeah. he died you don't even know what really to say you don't want because if you start showing too much emotion at least where i was they'll lock you up i mean they'll put you in the hole until you can start looking like you're not going to freak out on staff or anyone else so I just kept it all inside, talked to a couple of close friends and that was it, you know, and it's been with me all my life, you know, for the rest of my life. <clears throat> so now you're a fitness trainer though, right? You're a fitness <laughs> instructor. Yeah, She's evolved. I've evolved. <laughs> so yeah, I got out. Um, yeah, I got out and I, I actually worked at support dogs, which was a program that was in prison. So they actually hired me when I got out. So I worked there and then I decided to become a trainer and then I now, I train people, but I actually do like a lot of, it's kind of like functional medicine basically now. So that's sort of like my main gig. And then I also train people. Well, where so, yeah. can people find out about this? Is there somewhere they can look and see what you're doing and what you're, uh, yeah. Um, so I am on Instagram, all over Instagram, um, at CFIT living. And then my website is www.cfitpt.com or on Facebook under Samantha Lander. I'm all over. Awesome. And your Instagram's great. You got some great videos up there. Scroll I'm, through those. I'm just, I'm just trying to be as good as you, Brian. You're it's a learning process, right? You know? Please don't inflate him anymore. I mean, I can't <laughs> turn on TV without him. My lip. No, hey, you. this has been one of the most interesting interviews we've had. Seriously. I really enjoyed you. were very oh, articulate okay. and I think describing <laughs> what you went through. And that's not an easy thing to do, no. you know, in a short amount of time. I mean, I'm certain you could write a book about it. I you know spoke. I need to stop. I say it every year. I'm like, every year I'm like, I'm going to write that book. <laughs> right. When you say 27 months, isn't that long? I know there's a lot of listeners be like 27 months, isn't that long? But when well, look at COVID. Guy, right. <laughs> People locked in their me, house for two months and that was like the end of the world. When you're Seriously. talking to me and Ryan, it kind of makes you feel like, oh, I guess I don't know, you know, because we both did double digit time. But it is anytime your life stops like that and is stopped for that amount of time, you have to start all the way over. Oh, so yeah. you don't have to compare your time against mine or any of that, because to no. some people, guys that I knew that were rough in the street, they did one three month bit and they, their life has changed ever since. They never went <laughs> back to it. They cleaned up, you know, That's a serious I wasn't bit, that yeah, guy, you know, I had to have that real pain, you know, but. Some guys, you know, bottom is when you quit digging, I guess that's what they say, right? You know, when you when you quit digging and then you start climbing back up and out. It looks like you've climbed up and out great. I mean, that's well, fantastic. Well, thank you. you know, yeah, I think, I think that, yeah, they are. And I think that month of, uh, that month of L.A. County, oof. So, that, I mean, that, like you said, it's time doesn't matter. Like that one month, that was, it was rough. Yeah. I mean, it was rough. Like I had to keep my head down and like, I mean, there were, there were not, they were definitely assholes there. Yeah. It's real, sure. real. It's real. Like they will, like, like they will, for real, for they real. will put you in a cell and fucking throw a lock at your face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty rough. Well, thank yeah. you for coming on, Samantha. Thanks. Oh, Appreciate I'm like honored to be on here. Great. It's awesome. And I thank love you what you guys are doing. Out. If any other people out there listening have stories, reach out to us, you know, say, say what's up. You know, we'll talk to you and maybe get you on, you know, and you could tell your story. Ryan. Heck yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So we really appreciate it. And uh, we hope to have you on again. I think uh, I know there's more that you wanted to talk about. They're just, I mean, these experiences, they go on. I mean, they're a big chunk of our lives. So uh, I think people are going to be really interested in hearing what you have to say. And uh, hopefully they reach out to you personally. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to talk to anybody. Cool. Yeah, and talk to idea. anyone. Like if you got a kid, if you got a kid running, <laughs> running the wrong way, then send them my way. I'll give them a story. Well, thanks again, Sam. We'll yeah. talk to you soon. All right. All right, man. That was uh, that was as incredible as we had hoped. I mean, Samantha has one heck of a story, man. It yeah, was really enjoyable does. talking to her. Great humor, great personality as well. 
Yeah, she's she's real frank and open about stuff. I like that about her. She's yeah, easy to she talk doesn't uh, mince words. Yeah, not at all. You know, and, and she says things like they are. And you know, she touched it on a lot of topics in a pretty short amount of time. And I thought she did it. You know, pretty thoroughly. You know, I mean, there's always more you can say, but I think she really got in there a lot of good points and a lot of good, you know, like visions of what was what it was like. You know, you got a feeling about what she was talking about. Certainly, certainly. Um, so yeah, well, we really appreciate having her on. I know you guys do too. Again, reach out to her if you like. She wants to hear from everybody just as we do. And you can reach out to us on our Facebook page. You got Samantha's, uh, mine, Life After 10 on Instagram and Twitter, the Prison Counts uh, Twitter account. And then Dave, where do we find you? I think I'm Dave Dowling five two six one one one. I know I'm David Dowling on Facebook, and you can certainly friend me on there. You know, yeah, your prison number doesn't count, Dave. I don't know. <laughs> well, I didn't know what else to give it. You know, I mean, I'm trying to be, you know, keep it real. I, I can't be remember. Our prison. There's only like four numbers I can remember: my mom's phone number since when I was a kid, my social security number, and my prison <laughs> number. Okay, so anything else is gonna. I'm never gonna be able to find myself. So right, right. Yeah, we just need to put that number on everything. I'm gonna change mine to uh, Ryan Ferguson one one three seven five nine three. Right, but see, you got that young number. See, you, that's too many. One that was one number. Voice. So you got a seven number prison number. See, I'm a six guy. I know. I remember after I was in there for so long and it like went from 113 to 114 to 115. And I'm like, now you guys got the young number. Dang, I've been around too long. People used to see my number and make them nervous about me. Like, how long (laughs) have you been here, bro? (laughs) Why do you got that big bubble TV? What's up? Is that an RCA? (laughs) We've been here since the 70s. Right. Yeah, man, it uh, it is a trip though when you when you get the younger guys or in in Samantha's case, younger girls coming in, and it's like, man, they're starting a fresh bit. I've already been here five, six, seven, ten years. Right. Well, you know, when you tell a nineteen year old that you did fourteen, that's a lot of his life right there. When you tell yeah. a fifty year old, yeah, it still sounds like a lot, but a nineteen year old, like, wow, you got here when I was four. Now yeah. we're sellies. Like, dang, yeah, that puts it in perspective. That is, man. It's wild. But uh, again, we appreciate you guys. Thanks for listening to another, what we think is an amazing episode, of course. And uh, yeah, like we said in the beginning, please share. It helps so much. And we definitely want to hear from you. So uh, we'll leave it with Dave. That's it. You know, see you count time, noon on Sundays, Eastern time. Eastern time.